0: Welcome to Skip the Queue, a podcast for people working in or working with visitor attractions. I'm your host, Kelly Molson. Each episode, I speak with industry experts from the attractions world. These chats are fun, informative, and hopefully, always interesting. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, and all the usual channels by searching Skip the Queue. In today’s episode, I speak with Johnny Lyle, a marketing and digital director for the Attractions Industries. Johnny advises Sundown Adventureland and Audier Miniature Railway. And in the past, his work with Bewilderwood, won a coveted DBA Gold Award and Drum Grand Prix for the best marketing launch. We discuss how he's advised attractions about digital marketing throughout lockdown and what lies ahead for attractions in the UK. Johnny, welcome to the podcast. It's so lovely to have you on today.
1: Well, thank you for having me.
0: So we were introduced quite early on in lockdown, weren't we? By a mutual friend of ours, lovely Rachel. And I think for me, that's been one of the really great things about this situation. You know, always looking at the positives. I've been able to talk to some really interesting and really fun people because everyone's had a little bit more time to give up. But we don't know each other that well. So what I like to do at the beginning of any of our podcast interviews is just do a little icebreaker round. Now, you haven't been able to prepare any answers for this, so you don't know what's coming. You look worried.
1: <laughs> yeah, I am, yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> don't be. Right, okay, so first question. Do you prefer books or podcasts?
1: Books. As you can see on the video with about how many books I'm surrounded by. <laughs>
0: There's something about the smell, isn't there, for yeah. me? like. That's that's what does it for me. I've never been a big fan of a Kindle. I like to have that, that kind of paper feeling and that smell. No, most,
1: of, most of my reading's on a Kindle now, to be honest, but these are the books that I can't part with. So every, I've read every one in here, and these are the ones I won't part with. There's, there's lots more I've read, but these are the only, only the ones my favourites.
0: Oh, good. All right, well, we'll come to that later because I've got a question about a book for you. Um, what is the worst job that you've ever had?
1: When I was at university, I was temping, and I did two. One of them was delivering... Uh, for a soft drinks company into pubs at four o'clock in the morning, five o'clock in the morning. And the other one was genuinely working at a tip, picking up the rubbish that had blown up onto the uh, fence around the outside. So the job title was Womble as a litter picker (laughs) in a rubbish tip. Actually Um, Womble. (laughs) Which was actually very well paid uh, because no one wanted to do it. It allowed me to buy a car in my first year of university, so it was good.
0: It means to an end. Good job. Final icebreaker question. This is my favourite question. So can you tell me something that's true to you that almost nobody agrees with you on? So like, what is your unpopular opinion?
1: That Oxford United are worthy winners in tomorrow's and Monday's playoffs and should have always been in the championship or the premiership.
0: Oh I feel like this is controversial. <laughs> it's
1: not controversial for me, it's an absolute fact.
0: Thank you for sharing. We'll leave that there. <laughs>
1: but but depending on when this goes out, I might already have been proved wrong, but I don't know if we lose the playoffs so um... <laughs>
0: Okay. So look, how long, you've been, you are, you know, a, a marketing specialist working in the attraction sector. How long have you been working in the industry and, and, and what kind of, like, what's a kind of typical project for you?
1: So officially, the first project I did started about 2007. Um, I, at the time, I was running a brand consultancy. And I'd just lost my father and was offered a project to work in-house with a client for a period of time for a company called Treehouse Company, getting them ready. They had a new product called the Bothy Lodge Company, and they wanted to take it to IPO. So I went in as sort of acting market director for a few months to get them ready for that. Treehouse Company had a contract to build a treehouse adventure play place over in Norfolk, which at the time was going to be called Kingswater, uh, and which ultimately became Bewilderwood. So great,
0: yeah, I know it well.
1: My now very, very good friend Simon Egan, um, who I still work with because we've now got a company together, Capco, where we you know build great big adventure play things. Uh, for we've done Castle Howard and Cullane and Lowther Castle and Fort Douglas and places like that. Um, so we started that and it just took off. Our plan was to have 35,000 visitors a year in the first year, and we got 12,000 in the second week. Um, and then it, it just went. Realistic. It was a just total overnight success. It won a Thea um, as the best children's attraction in the world ish at the time. Uh, it won DBA Gold. It won uh, the Drum Grand Prix for best marketing launch. Um, it just it just cleaned up. It won everything. A Treehouse Company won tons as well that year. Actually, as well, so it was quite good. And then from that, just more and more people asked me whether I would get involved with them. Uh, and eventually I left the design agency, my own design agency, and sold it to my partners so I could focus more on this. Nice. So probably eight eight years full-time now in, in, in doing this. Yeah.
0: So as an agency owner myself, uh, you've got a coveted DBA award. I mean...
1: Yeah, and it was the first time we'd ever entered that. And it was the same year as the launch of the Mini. So we were up there with... And the Beijing Olympics won, I think, at the same time as well. So it was uh, yeah. always that when we won the Thea. Um, so it was yeah it was a good year
0: <laughs> nice and so what so you so that was so it's eight years that you've been working as a consultant yeah what kind of things do you get involved in now so what's what how do you advise attractions
1: there's two sort of typical No, I'm sure you'd expect me to say there's nothing typical but there's sort of two types of work the first one is when an attraction's failing or something's gone wrong. Um, A couple of years ago, I had two in succession where the digital agency had built the website and left it blocked from Google um, as they launched it and cost them all of their web traffic. And so I went in to find out what was wrong and sort it out. And then the second is when they want a new way of thinking. So it might be reviewing their internal team. It might be to reposition the attraction. So the one near South Walden that you know well is Audley A miniature railway. So we moved that from being a miniature railway that old miniature railway enthusiasts would go to into being a family attraction where young families would go. And in doing so again grew it from fifty thousand to hundred and ten thousand a year and profitability. So those are the sorts of things that but in I guess the main part of it is I don't want to be the one necessarily going in and actually doing the work I'd much rather if there was already an in-house team there uh, and they needed training or upskilling or uh, be you know help with some rethinking really more than anything. Uh, I'm certainly not trying to go in and replace anyone I don't want their jobs I'm not a threat to them in theory I should only ever be an asset to them.
0: So how how has it been for you throughout this period I mean attractions have been closed. It's been really difficult. You talked a little bit there about, you know, a typical project for you going, um, you know, taking the visitor numbers from 50,000 up to 100,000 plus. At the moment, that's really challenging. Uh, We've got attractions that have got capped capacity, they can only take so many people through the doors. And that's if some of them can open, and they're able to open within the restrictions that we've currently have in terms of people's safety. So how has it been for you during lockdown? What have you been what have you been able to help them with and advise them with?
1: The main thing for me was sort of continuing to communicate—is actually keep talking, um, try and keep front of mind um, because a, with everyone, loads of people just furloughed all their marketing staff almost overnight, so that made it really difficult because uh, there just wasn't people there weren't people there to do the work. Uh, so it, it's been trying to keep a low level of communication without sort of certainly not whining, keeping positive, keeping. Um, sort of said, we're really looking forward to having you back when we can uh, and making sure that they could see that you were taking every step to protect them going forward and and it's still a fun place to look forward to coming back to but it's been a real it was a real challenge because you yeah, know almost everyone switched off i think everyone went into total rabbit in the headlights no one knew what to do um so certainly the attractions i work with they just went very very quiet there was big stress in terms of choosing when to close uh, and I think with the ones I work with the most closely they closed early they actually went a bit early and got really really good feedback from their customers for it in both cases In the in the two I work very closely with um, so now it's a case of making sure you don't go back too early I think and don't suddenly aim for as big a capacity as you can possibly get away with because I just don't think people are going to feel safe
0: yeah, I think you're right, actually, and that's similar conversations that we've been having with our clients. Is is they need to be ready, and they need to make sure that they've worked through the procedures, and they need to make sure that it is safe and a welcoming and a, and a happy place for people to be back at. Yeah. Um, so I think you're totally right about people not, you know, not rushing into to reopening. It's the right. It's the right way to approach it. I guess it's the same we've had similar conversations with the clients that we work for um, in terms of trying to keep that conversation going um, even while you're closed you know if you can't be open and have people there still be part of that conversation did you kind of speak to any of clients around like virtual tours or producing content that people could use at home as well?
1: We did we did a lot of that Um, the, the Sundown Adventureland it was a beautiful old attraction they produced a lot of sort of things for kids to do at home so there's lots of coloring lots of little puzzles and all sorts of bits uh, and we did one sort of quite sort of behind the scenes tour about how one of the rides was actually made for those you know who were interested and that you yeah, know that went really well and i think that was again one of my lessons i think was be generous uh give yeah give stuff away because it will come back it will it will you'll be rewarded by being generous. Don't be grabby at all. You know, I think there was people charging for some of these downloads at one point and that very, very quickly got uh, stopped. So the ones I work with didn't do masses because they're not particularly big attractions. You know, they're sort of like the up to 300,000 ish. Uh, that tends to be where I work. Um, so they didn't do masses because uh, they don't necessarily have really, really distant appeal. They're still sort of relatively local markets. So, yeah, it was a balance between keeping them on board and not talking to them too much and getting on the nerves.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a fine line, isn't it? Because you, like you say, a lot of the, the teams were furloughed and they're running a, a really kind of um, scaled back, you know, skeleton team. You kind of, you want to help, but you don't want to, be imposing. You don't want to be a burden or, or an annoyance to them at any point yeah. as well.
1: But the big opportunity that I think we did take was it's just it was a fabulous opportunity. You know the the other guy blinked. The uh, um, who's that little story about Pepsi and Coke in and and the cola wars was it was a brilliant opportunity to really work on your SEO and really work on your content of your site. So I did a lot of that, a lot of groundwork and a lot of work on uh, Google Business. Uh, And looking at local links and citations, and getting that groundwork in that will come back when we start when people start searching again for what to do. And that was, I've loved that. That's been that's been brilliant, and I'm I'm quite looking forward to seeing what the results of some of those are going to (laughs) be.
0: Yeah, that's nice, isn't it? You know, like you say, put the groundwork in while you were closed. If you could focus on some of those things, you know, getting the getting all your ducks in a row, as they say, yeah, um, you're going to be in a better place for when you open. The weekend is approaching where attractions, if they can and are able to open safely, they will be. What's the current mood like with some of your attractions as they start to plan that opening? Uh,
1: nervous, I think. Uh, and I think nervous for their teams as well because they're, they're very close to their teams. They want to make sure they're not putting their own teams at risk. Um, but the business model is going to be completely different. The critical bit in the first few weeks is going to be TripAdvisor reviews and Facebook reviews, what people say, because they're going to make or break attractions, I think, in the next few weeks. And if people have gone in too – they're going to allow too many people in and people don't feel safe, they're not going to be afraid to tell other people uh and i think then you will destroy the whole of the rest of your year if you try and take too many if you go much above 30 percent capacity 40 percent capacity by the summer then i think you really are taking a massive risk and the next big one i think is going to be most attractions have an indoor christmas experience uh if you get it wrong now you're not going to have any form of indoor christmas experience either so that's going to be you've got to get it right you've got to not take too much or try and take too much now because otherwise i think you could lose everything
0: gosh that's quite it's quite frightening to think about that isn't it and christmas at the moment seems like really far away but obviously we know that a lot of the christmas campaigns start to be be planned you know now if not previous if not just before now and things like halloween and um and those kind of activities too start to be planned so yeah i guess it's just really difficult even with a capacity of of 30% like you say that's been set we still don't really know if they're going to achieve that i mean what we've seen recently which has been brilliant is the overwhelming demand for zoos and outdoor activities yeah. we're not sure that we're going to get the same surges for indoor attractions and that's that's the big challenge for them i think at the moment
1: no people are still definitely more nervous about indoor aren't they there's there's no doubt about that um the problem is though I think for a lot of attractions they they've got to, their business models got to change because if you think a lot of attractions summer can be thirty percent forty percent of turnover christmas can again be twenty five thirty percent of turnover um if you could only operate on thirty forty percent capacity of your on your biggest months, then your business model means you're only going to do forty percent of your annual turnover potentially, so you've got to be able to get through until at the earliest next summer i think before we could be back to any form of normality.
0: So what kind of things have you been advising your clients that they can do now and then they can continue to do for the future? Because I guess, you know, the, big, the bigger question is what is the future for attractions? And at the moment, it's a, that's a really tough question to ask because I think that most of us sitting here, we don't know what the next two weeks will bring, let alone what no. the next two months will bring. But what are your thoughts on what attractions can do now to start a booster in their marketing? Have you been looking at advising your clients about what they can do now and and for the next few months?
1: I think the main thing is is trying to welcome people back, trying to make sure that it is fun. It's more about having fun than them thinking they're at risk. If they're walking into an attraction, looking over their shoulder thinking, oh, I wonder if he's got it, I wonder if they've got it, then they're not going to come back. So um, the main one I've been rabbiting on about all the time is making sure that your staff are smiling um, because that smile first, ask questions later has always been something i've tried to work to um and i think if you don't make it a fun place to be first and foremost people won't come back other than that it's hunker down and make sure you try and keep your cost to an absolute minimum and maximize the fun and try and survive uh, i know that sounds incredibly negative but it's unless you've really done the maths, so I think there's it's going to be an incredibly tough period for most attractions. Yeah, particularly the ones who are highly geared. So the ones who've borrowed money, big money in the last few years are going to, uh, and they're dependent on the numbers. Then like the Merlins of this world who, are, you know, they are going to find it very, very tough because I know people will go back. I know they're open and you can walk around the grounds now. They're going to be operating on tiny capacities, aren't they? So,
0: yeah, I guess that's, um, That's something that we've been talking a little bit about the last couple of weeks at the studio, actually, you know, maximizing the revenue from the visitors that can come through your doors. So, you know, how are you looking at the retail environment that you've got on site? Most attractions are opening uh, and offering booking time slots. So that's something that we've been talking to our clients about. Can they book food slots while they're there can they book a time a slot in the retail environment so that they feel safer but also you're kind of driving them to maybe while they're there just capture as much revenue from them as you possibly can at that point I don't know if that's something that you've been talking to uh, to your clients about as well
1: not much but we did I did a big zoom the other day with uh, about a 10 attractions uh the capco clients we spoke to a lot of them and one really interesting one was uh, bean who runs chobham adventure farm is he's a real innovator um and they're making sure they're so they're doing it on time slots two two or three hour time slots I can't remember um but each of the people who are booking are being allocated a table um within the place as well they're doing full food service it's still you walk up and you get your food but there's obviously social distancing within the queuing because food is a really important part of their offer. Uh, but they're also offering the ability for people to upgrade. It's a bit Ryanair, but you could actually choose which table you want for a little bit extra um, so okay. you can get a table in one of the better areas. Um, I think there's a real danger, though, that attractions are – if you're caught profiteering, if you're caught putting prices up, if you're caught doing anything like that, then, again, that will come back and haunt you. It will just it'll come back in reviews. And we've seen that on Amazon, actually. Amazon have kicked off a lot of suppliers who were profiteering, who were you know doing the £500 toilet roll yeah. trick or whatever. If they're doing it, then TripAdvisor and Facebook are going to do it just from your reviews. So I think it's about trying to increase dwell time so people will eat. Uh, retail is going to be really difficult because uh, all the advice that's come from the government has come from Enfan and all the other bodies has said don't direct people out through your shop. So retail... in attraction is going to be very hard hit but i think what we've looked at is more pop-ups is to make more other small places around the park so actually you can go and get an ice cream you can go and get a drink you can go and get a slush you can go and you know buy a, a memento somewhere else uh, so it's not all in one big retail environment right
0: so you're not funneling people through that that area i guess it's hard as well isn't it because we do obviously have to consider that a, a lot of us are going to be um this is a difficult time for so many people and we're going to be struggling in time in terms of what, what money we actually have coming in. So, um, you know, not everybody's going to have the same amount of free money that they had to spend previously. It's in it. And you need to get that marketing. You need to get it really right. It has to be really sympathetic and empathetic.
1: Yeah. But a lot of people have been furloughed, remember, and been on full pay or 80% pay sitting at home doing nothing with almost no outgoing. So, um, all the research again showed a different view did a lot of research um, and Alva did a lot of research. And all of that research said in the sort of sentiment surveys that people weren't expecting to be discounted. They they were quite happy to come back and pay full price. Even, and I think we've seen that already again with the zoos. I know we have with Cotswold Wildlife Park as well. Uh, that even that some of the bits of the attractions are closed, they're actually still quite happy to come in and pay. Uh, which is you know is really encouraging, I guess at this stage, it's probably the very loyal customers who are coming back first, and some of the others will be more choosy. I've seen a lot of talk on Facebook again from customers saying it's too early for us yet, we're still shielding, or with little Doris is not well enough, we don't want to take that risk, so if you make it so it's a great place to be for your regular customers then and try and live off them and work with them and make sure they have a great time, then the others will come back, I'm sure,
0: yeah, so big question and I know it's probably one that can't be answered but what do you think that the future looks like for attractions in the UK? Uh,
1: I think it's going to be it's going to be tough um, I think there'll be some weeding out I think there's going to be a big unemployment hit which is going to be harder for attractions because whilst people are on furlough they're not being laid off by companies and i yeah we're already seeing it in the northwest there's there's some adjustment Airbus are laying people off I think Derby Rolls-Royce are laying people off there's Um, there's going to be layoffs in some quite big numbers around. So that's going to hit the economy very hard. Uh, And it's still a discretionary spend. So we have just got to make sure that we deliver great value and great fun uh, and an escape. Uh, The advantage I guess we've got this year is that less people are going to be traveling overseas. So more people are going to be uh, staycationing um, Mm -hmm. and enjoying what's around them. But I don't think I've got any specific sort of long-term thoughts yet we've just got to see how this emerges as we come out but I think the the weaker ones will will really struggle as we've already seeing that in football I know you like your football as well but yeah we're going out of, you know, going out of business and there's going to be others like that aren't there and uh, football is a bit of a mess in lots of ways so I think the attractions because it's again a discretionary spend it's something that people do for fun is going to be challenged
0: yeah. Yeah, you mentioned football. I mean, i may as well get it out in the open about being a Tottenham fan, which I do that. Has, you know. has its has its pros and cons. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but you know, similarly, Lee and I have both got uh we have season tickets and we have no idea when we're going to go back and we have no idea how that's going to work or
1: Yeah, if you take some of the bigger attractions, one of my favourite attractions I've ever been to is Puy-de-Vue in in France. Incredible. You know, no rides, but all shows. It's got sort of like 10 different shows. It's the most incredible attraction I've ever been to. And then you've got the... There's the one, uh, Kinran, up in Newcastle, uh, sort of north-east, which I've been to as well, which sort of grew from Puy-de-Vue. And they've got another big evening show at Puy-de-Vue, which only runs about 50 nights a year, say. They've got 14,000 people in a stand all right next to each other, sitting next to each other, and 2,000 people in the cast. How are they going to run that? A, it can't run unless you can fill it because it can't possibly be profitable. It's, It's going to be so difficult for them, and they're going to have to adjust their business model. They're either going to have to build massive temporary stands to allow that many people to sit there but be twice as far apart, or... They're going to have to say, well, we're outside anyway, so it'll probably be okay. Um, Mm. Yeah, there's there's really, obviously, really major adjustments to come. And I think one of the other ones, again, I know I mentioned Merlin before, if you take the big rides, you know, the really big thrill rides, a lot of the time on those rides is spent in the pre-show, is the sort of queuing section. And the pre-show evolved because they were trying to make it so you weren't really queuing, you were actually enjoying the pre-show. You were sort of being warmed up, ready for the ride. Most of those are indoors a lot of those are going to have to be removed. So if all you're going to do is walk straight onto the front or a long social distance queue and then walk and get onto the ride without as much of the pre-show, it's just not going to be as much fun. It's not going to be – you're not going to have been warmed up in the same way. So you're not going to be having the same level of expectation about that ride. So that will be quite different, I think, again.
0: Mm yeah so opening up but still it's a long journey a long road ahead for for many of the attractions and, and and the way that they're set up and lots of changes that's going to need to be made
1: I sound like I'd be really negative and I, I don't mean to be but I'm just I'm I'm trying to be pragmatic and think of what you can do and that, that that's so much of that is still come back to the welcome it's got to be about the welcome and make sure that the ones you can get and the ones who are there you just absolutely welcome them with open arms and make them feel safe and loved and uh, and as though they're going to have a great day help them have a great day because that's what going out to these places is like isn't it, it has to be about having a yeah. great day
0: so when i spoke to ben he talked a lot about uh the the kind of front of house and actually it's the front of house team that really make that experience and we know that we know that you know if you if you arrive somewhere and you know it feels magical because the people are magical you know that that's the start of the of the fun, isn't it? So, yeah. I completely, I completely hear where you're coming from. Um, and it's a difficult question. We just don't know what's coming next. But you're right. If you've got, if you are able to bring back people, make them feel as welcome and as happy and as that they're in the best place in the world. What at the moment? What's the biggest challenge that you have with your role at the moment, and how do you think that you'll overcome it?
1: I think my biggest challenge is being 54. <laughs> um, is being a digital marketing specialist at 54, a lot of people assume it's a young person's game. Um, and so at the moment, I'm still lucky enough to be taken seriously by people with it, in it because I've got a track record. But I think as I get another few years on, are you going to want a 60-year-old to come in and look at your digital marketing? And I don't, I don't know whether people will. So it's a completely personal thing. And I think that's going to be difficult. So I think I've got to evolve more into leading and training than actually doing. But I'm interested enough to keep seeing what's what matters and what's changing. But I, I guess that's going to get harder and harder. You're lucky; you're really young. So, uh
0: not that young, but yeah, it's not that long. You, you haven't got many years on me. <laughs> You'd
1: be surprised. Uh... <laughs> I, hear,
0: I, I hear what you're saying though, because I guess I, I, I kind of I look at that and think, well, yeah. I mean, I run a digital agency now, but I'm 42. Yeah, well, yeah. Again, will I? What will I be when I'm 50? Will I? Will I be running a digital age? I just I don't know. Yeah, I guess yeah, no, there's that, the same same kind of perception.
1: I've been talking about that a lot with my family, to be honest. Um, and it's one I've always got some form of side hustle going. I've always got some online business that I'm running somewhere or other that I'm trialling. Uh, and I guess it's uh, have another go at some of them and see where they emerge. But really, continue to focus on I think more to do more towards training and leadership than um, and look overviewing than actually doing because with one of my clients I still actually do all the work I still write all the content and produce all the all the social media stuff so which is brilliant because it keeps you yeah very very close to it and you can mm. see what works you can measure what works but I can't see me myself being able to do that I wanted to do that in another five years to be honest
0: yeah so one of the things that are you know at the beginning of the podcast I said you know we were introduced by a mutual friend and and this has been this has been one of the positives that I can take from this period is that I've had time and people have been generous to give me their time to to chat and just to meet really interesting people. What What's the kind of the biggest surprise that you've had over the last few months and, and why?
1: Well, you asked me a question earlier about what's my sort of unpopular opinion. I almost <laughs> used this one then. And I think it's how nice the weather is when there's no planes flying and there's no cars <laughs> on the road. Because I just can't believe the two are unrelated. Um, That if we're chucking pollution into the top of the sky uh, with planes then we're going to make clouds and we're not going to have nice weather. I'm saying that now, it's absolutely chucking down outside, but never (laughs) mind. Uh, But the traffic has picked right back up again, hasn't it? Um, And I think I've I was surprised, I was really nervous at first about taking this forced time off because I've never really done it before and I was nervous about what the future held and work and the like and I've actually I just relaxed into it really quickly and i thoroughly enjoyed it and I've baked a load of bread and I've made a load of lovely food and we've walked the entire Wirral coastline and poor dog is exhausted from it and just actually enjoyed a slower pace of life that I've just I've genuinely never had since I started my first business at 23.
0: Yeah it's nice isn't it it's been um, again that's definitely a plus reconnecting a little bit more with nature and just taking that time that we've been, I guess we have to say that we've been gifted it just to slow, slow things down a little bit.
1: Yeah, I've, I've worked, I've, I've sort of mostly sat down at my desk most nearly every day still, so I didn't completely get out of the habit of it. But I very rarely worked beyond three o'clock, and then uh, and by three o'clock, ooh, gin and tonic, and uh, sit out in the garden <laughs> with my feet up and read my book. it yeah.
0: Oh, delightful. <laughs> okay, book. Well, that brings us on to our last question. So. We like to ask our guests uh, if they have a book that they would recommend that's helped shaped your career.
1: I'm going to cheat. I can't narrow it down to one, so I'm going <gasps> to. Na- I'm going to narrow. You're going do to do
0: two, th- aren't you? Oh, three. three. Oh, you're killing me.
1: Right, three. Right. Uh, seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Stephen Covey. I read it probably 20 years ago for the first time, and it the live, love, leave a legacy. That bit about making sure you think about what you leave behind was critical. It changed everything about the way I thought. That's the first one. The second one, which is directly related, to be honest, is Five People You'll Meet in Heaven, my Mitchell one, uh, which is shows the effect of what you're saying and what you're doing has on other people and makes you much more conscious of the impact you can have consciously or subconsciously. Uh, it really does make you moderate your behavior because I'm prone to being a loudmouth noel and I've really learned... To think about what I'm saying because of that, and then the third one, which is absolutely brilliant, everyone should read it, is called Fish by Stephen London, uh, which is about the guys who work in the Seattle Fish Market, and it's all about choose your attitude. Um, you absolutely, and utterly choose your attitude. You decide what you want to, you know, what you want to be when you get into work, and that was fantastic and again in my design agency days we put a whole staff through a training session on that we did a whole day training session just with that one book and film Uh, and they all have had a massive positive impact on me as well as about 10,000 other books so uh, but yeah those are the three that I could narrow it down to.
0: Great I mean great choices Um, but also you guys are blowing my book budget because what we do is we offer people with a chance to win the book But now it's books. Ben had two books as well. You're killing me. Right. Okay. Look, if you'd like to win a copy of Johnny's books, then um, if you head over to our Twitter account, which is skip the queue, and you retweet this episode announcement with the comment, I want Johnny's books, then you'll be in with a chance of winning Them. Them. (laughs) but <laughs> get, my, my, get my amazon order in now
1: <laughs> yeah our daughter runs a coffee shop in nottingham and she has just started getting into. She said, i want to get i want to develop myself i want to get better and so i sent her a copy of the fish book as one to start with and she was totally and utterly blown away with it and is now buying copies of herself for all her staff and actually running a training session with all her staff just to go through that uh, because oh, it had great. such an impact on her
0: no, well, that's a good sign of a book, isn't it? You know, I think um, we've done that a few times where books have had a real kind of, um, you know, a moment with us and we've given copies of them to our clients or given copies of them to, you know, people that have, you know, referred us or, or, or things like that. So that's a that's a real testament to a good book.
1: Well, I'm secondhand on Amazon. They're only... Of- few pence and then you pay £2.80 delivery it's got to be worth it you don't even need to buy them new buy them secondhand recycle them get books I'm recycle. happy
0: with, I'm happy with secondhand books that's so what I. you all might be it's what you might all be getting listeners yeah don't buy <laughs> don't, don't
1: buy new buy secondhand don't, there's no point in wasting more paper printing new ones when there's loads of old copies about
0: Johnny thank you so much for being on the podcast today it's been really real pleasure to have you on Lots of changes come in. It'll be interesting to see what the next few months look like. Maybe we can catch up again after Christmas and see where we're all at.
1: Yeah, Christmas is going to be the big one, isn't it? Let's see Let's see what state everyone's in when we get to Christmas and uh, and then smile away way through Christmas and then have a brilliant next year. We've got to write this year. I think we've got to write this year off It's uh, and then have a brilliant one next year.
0: 2021's the one.
1: Yeah, it is.
0: All right. <laughs> Thanks, Johnny. Thanks, Kelly. Thanks for listening to Skip the Queue. If you've enjoyed this podcast please leave us a five-star review it really helps others find us and remember to follow us on twitter for your chance to win the books that have been mentioned skip the queue is brought to you by rubber cheese a digital agency that builds remarkable systems and websites for attractions that helps them increase their visitor numbers you can find show notes and transcriptions from this episode and more over on our website rubbercheese.com forward slash podcast